Section 50 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. Section 50. Wagner's Parsifal. In the early days of Christianity, when troublous times beset the path of the true believer, the Holy Grail, or sacred cup from which our Saviour had drank at the Last Supper, and which had afterwards received the blood that flowed from his pierced side as he lay upon the cross, had been brought, together with the spear which had wounded him, by a company of angels into the mountainous district of northern Spain. And here the holy relics were reverently received with joy and gratitude by the good king, Titurel, who built for them a temple sanctuary and castle upon the beautiful mountain of Montsauvat, where they were constantly guarded by the brave knights of stainless purity and integrity. Great was the reward of their faithful service, for the Holy Grail possessed miraculous powers, bestowing both bodily as well as spiritual strength and nourishment upon its guardians, giving them such means of grace that they were able to perform mighty deeds for the good of mankind. And with the sacred spear, the righteous King Titurel was able to keep at bay the infidels and all who were opposed to Christianity, and who struggled vainly to break down his stronghold. None but the pure and innocent could approach the holy sanctuary, or hope to derive benefit from its wondrous powers. For the Grail Knights, by reason of their own spotless purity, could read the hearts of all comers, and sternly repulsed any who were unworthy. Thus it came about that when Klingzor, the most wicked of all magicians, and the ruler of the heathen and infidel races, once sought the grail, hoping to be released from his many sins, partly seized by a temporary fit of remorse, but chiefly for the means of worldly advancement and power, he was denied entrance to the sacred temple. For the guardian of the grail saw clearly into the deceitful heart of the sorcerer, and reading there, as in a book, his impious and unholy thoughts, he drove him back with horror." rendered furious by his ignominious defeat Klingzer determined to be revenged and for this purpose he set up an enchanted castle on the southern slopes of the same mountain surrounding it with luxuriant gardens in which he placed sirens of dazzling beauty who with their seductive charms should ensnare the knights of the grail who wandered that way and lure them by unholy passions and evil spells to destruction from which there should be no return Many were the knights thus enticed from the paths of purity to a life of sinful pleasures and soul-destroying voluptuousness. Thus many years passed away, and at last good King Titurel, now well stricken in years, felt himself growing too old to perform the sacred offices of the Holy Grail any longer. So he invested his son, Amfortas, the handsomest and most glorious of all the knights, with the royal mantle, and made him king in his stead. The young king Amfortas, impatient of Klingzor's evil influence, determined to vanquish the wicked enchanter and put an end to his dangerous magic. And armed with the sacred spear, he went fearlessly forth one day upon his great mission. But Klingzor beheld the royal knight's approach and summoned to his aid Kundry, a strange being who against her will had ever been subservient to his power, and bidding her practice her arts upon his enemy, he had little doubt as to the issue nor was he mistaken, for Kundry, who could assume any shape, transformed herself into a woman of such surpassing beauty that Amfortas felt his senses leave him as he gazed upon her. 
it was in vain that the young king struggled to maintain his integrity and to fight against the evil influence that closed so surely around him for kundry never relaxed her seductions until he was locked in her embrace in the snares of guilty passion soon klingzer stealing unawares upon his victim as he lay thus entranced seized the sacred spear and stabbed him in the side with it and then with a triumphant laugh he rushed back to his enchanted castle bearing the holy relic with him the wounded king was carried back by his faithful knights to the sanctuary full of remorse for his sin and doomed to suffer agonies of pain for many long weary years for the wound inflicted by the evil sorcerer throbbed and burned unceasingly and could never be healed until the holy spear should be reclaimed and brought to the sanctuary and the unhappy amfortress remained helpless and agonized in mind and body with the wound that would not close once as the king lay groaning in the sanctuary the angels of the holy grail were heard proclaiming that the sacred spear could alone be regained by the blameless fool one who simple and pure unacquainted with worldly knowledge should from pure whole-hearted sympathy with the sufferer's terrible agony recognize the woes of suffering humanity and by such loving pity bring redemption this then was the one hope held out and the sublime deed to be performed and after many long years of woe the deliverer of amfortas appeared one early dawn gurnemans one of the oldest of the grail knights was resting with his esquires in a glade within the sacred domains waiting for the arrival of amfortas who was to be carried in accordance with his usual daily custom to bathe in the lake nearby that its soothing waters might ease his ever-burning wound for a short time and as the first rays of the rising sun shone forth the solemn morning bell of the sanctuary was heard calling all to their devotions at the sound of the bell the watchers in the glade knelt reverently to offer up their morning prayer and as they rose once more to their feet they were joined by other knights as the newcomers spoke sadly with old gurnemans of the perpetual sufferings of the king a wild female figure was seen riding furiously towards them who upon approaching the knights flung herself from the foaming steed and hastened to them bearing in her hand a small crystal vial this was none other than kundry the witch maiden who when temporarily freed from the evil influence of the sorcerer klingzor would serve the knights of the grail as message-bearer and by the performance of extraordinary feats of endurance would seem as though striving to atone by such penances for the evil deeds she did when unable to resist her sinful nature and the commands of her unholy master she was well known to the knights some of whom however regarded her with scorn and suspicion knowing her to be a sinner but gurnemans was always kind and gentle with her and would often reprove his companions for their hostile attitude declaring that though she might be under an evil curse yet she did penance by serving the grail and that when she was absent for long some misfortune was sure to happen to them kundry now appeared as a wild half-savage creature clad in fantastic robe fastened by a girdle of snake-skins and with long flowing locks of black hair and piercing black eyes sometimes wildly flashing but more usually fixed and glassy and having travelled far in search of a healing balsam for the wounded king she handed the vial to gurnemans roughly refusing all thanks amfortas groaning with pain now appeared in the glade in a litter borne by a number of noble knights and having received kundry's balsam from gurnemans he thanked her for her gift although he knew it could afford relief but for a few hours 
He was then carried forward to the lake, and soon afterwards, as Gurnemanz remained lost in his sad thoughts, standing beside the now prostrate Kundry, who had flung herself exhausted on the ground, loud cries of indignation were suddenly heard, and as the old knight looked around, he saw a wild swan slowly sink to the ground and die. At the same moment, the esquires dragged forth a handsome youth, whose beauty and look of perfect innocence and purity made all regard him with interest and wonder, and yet whose bow and arrows proclaimed him as the slayer of the fair bird, a species held sacred by the guardians of the grail. Gurnemans poured forth indignant reproaches upon the youth, who, however, appeared unconscious that his deed was wrong. But on seeing the sorrow he had caused, his own heart was touched, and suddenly breaking his bow and arrows, he impetuously flung them away. Gurnemans, struck by the noble looks of the young stranger, began to question him. But the youth declared that he knew not from whence he had come, nor what his name was, nor who his father had been, though he recollected that his mother's name was Heart in Sorrow, and that they had dwelt together in the forest wilds. Kundry, who in her weary wanderings over the world had knowledge of everything, now approached and declared that the stranger's father had fallen in battle, and that his mother had brought him up in a desert place, where he could not learn the use of arms, nor gain any knowledge of the wicked world. And so the lad had led the pure, innocent life of nature, and knew not the meaning of evil. Having beheld a party of knights in glittering armor one day, he had followed them, full of wonder, forgetful of the mother who so tenderly loved him, and whom Kundry now declared had died of grief at his loss. On hearing this, the youth, feeling for the first time in his life for another than himself, sprang furiously at Kundry's throat, and would have choked her had not Gurnemans dragged him back, and then he sank down half-fading, whilst the witch-maiden hurried to bring water to refresh him. Gurnemans, astonished at the utter innocence and primitive simplicity of the handsome stripling, and recollecting the prophecy that one who should be a blameless fool, pure and undefiled, would alone be found worthy to regain the lost spear, regarded the youth with new interest, feeling that the Holy Grail itself must have guided him thither as the one who should indeed perform the supreme deed. And gently laying his hand on the youth's soldier, he began to tell him about the Holy Grail and its wonderful powers. Kundry, meanwhile, had crept away, unperceived to a thicket, and overcome by a deadly weariness, sank down into a deep slumber. For this was the means by which Klingzor the sorcerer called her to perform his evil behests, and struggle as she might, she could not prevail against this fatal sleep. Having explained to the wondering youth the mysterious nourishment and power given by the Holy Grail, the uncovering of which was about to be performed by the king, who had now left the lake and was being carried back to the castle, Gurnemans took him to join in the sacred ceremony. For he saw plainly that the stranger had noble qualities in him, and believed that these would be stirred into actual being by the holy influence of the sanctuary treasures. When they reached the magnificent hall of the temple, the knights were already assembled, waiting and wrapped with reverent attention for the customary unveiling of the grail, by which they received physical and spiritual food and strength. The litter of Amfortus was carried forward and placed beside the holy shrine, and then, as all stood round expectantly, the voice of the aged King Titoril was heard from a niche in the background, where he sat in retirement, calling upon his sons to uncover the grail, that its wondrous blessing might yet once more be bestowed upon its guardians. Amfortas, 
suffering acutely from the burning and throbbing of his wound, broke forth into agonized lamentation, because he, the most unworthy of them all, should thus be the one whose duty it was to perform this, the holiest office of their order. And in despairing tones he besought his father to take back his old authority and leave him to die. But the aged king declared he was too feeble to perform the blessed office. He was only kept alive by the daily strength he received from beholding the grail. And he again commanded Amfortas to proceed with the duties of his position, since by continuing to serve the grail in spite of his agony he might atone for his guilt. The knights also reminded their fallen master of the promised deliverance from his woe, and Amfortas, somewhat comforted, raised himself painfully, and unveiling the holy grail, waved it reverently to and fro, thus consecrating the bread and wine which was then distributed that all might partake of the wondrous love-feast. As the holy cup was revealed, a brilliant light fell upon it, which caused it to glow with a rich wine-purple color, and to shed a soft, heavenly effulgence on all around, and Amphortas, though he took no part in the meal, remained for some time in a state of rapt exaltation. Then, as he felt his wound break out afresh, as it ever did when he performed the sacred office, he uttered a long-drawn cry of agony and sank back, fainting and exhausted. All this time the strange youth had stood apart, taking no part in the ceremony, but remaining still and dazed as though entranced. But when the wounded king gave forth his last cry of anguish, he placed his hand with a convulsive movement over his heart, as though filled with an emotion entirely new and strange to him. But, though pity was thus unconsciously awakened in his breast, he did not yet understand the agonies of a conscious guilt, which was the wounded king's chief woe, nor did he comprehend the meaning of what he had just seen. And Gurnemans, impatient at seeing such seeming stupidity, and deeming him a fool indeed, irritably thrust him out through a side door of the temple, bidding him depart to his old wild ways once more, knowing that he must first experience the stabs of passion and temptation in himself, and conquer the same, ere he could understand and feel sympathy for the woes and sins of others. But the pity that had indeed stirred the youth's heart so strangely for the first time grew apace, and since he had learned from Gurnemans the story of the lost spear, he determined to try to regain the sacred weapon, which alone could give relief to the poor sufferer, and with a fearless spirit and a joyous step, he set off, alone and unafraid, to storm the enchanted castle. Klingzer the sorcerer saw him approaching, and at once recognized him as a dangerous foe, since his breastplate was purity, and his shield foolishness. And quickly he called to his aid the witch-maiden Kundry, whom he had just awakened from the deep slumber of destiny by his magic spells to work his evil once more. But though Kundry could not prevail against the terrible power of Klingzor, she only obeyed his commands in anger and horror, doing against her will wicked deeds for which, when removed from her master's influence, she would tearfully endeavor to atone by her acts of mercy and service. She longed above all things to die, but could not. For she who had lived through all the ages, and laughed at everything good and pure, whose spirit had inspired the savage heart of Herodias, and had mocked the Saviour of the world, was now doomed to a path of evil for ever, compelled to lure all into her snares of passion and sin. On hearing that the simple fool was to be her victim also, she asked Klingzer in despair if she was never to be released from his toil, 
and to find rest in eternal sleep. And the sorcerer replied that deliverance for her would only come when someone should be found strong and pure enough to resist her wiles. Kundry, with a heart-rending moan, now resigned herself to the terrible part of temptress she was thus compelled to play, being unable to resist her master's will, and Klingzer, from his magic tower, watched his approaching victim with malignant interest. As the youth approached the enchanted castle with a light step and a joyous heart, he found his entry opposed by the fallen knights who had been lured within its walls by Klingzer's beautiful sirens. But, fearlessly resisting them, he snatched a sword from the nearest, and continued boldly to scale the walls, wounding and scattering all who opposed him. For the degraded knights, once so brave and strong, had now grown weak and dull through indulgence, sloth, and voluptuous sin. And the fiery ardor and simple fearlessness of the young invader so daunted these dullards that they soon fled and left him master of the situation. Having thus triumphed over the weak guardians of the castle, the handsome stripling gazed proudly around him, and perceiving the sorcerer's magic garden close at hand, he entered it, marveling at its luxuriance. Here he was quickly surrounded by Klingzer's sirens, beautiful flower-maidens who, clad in gossamer garments, appeared like a throng of brilliant living flowers, and bewildered and dazzled by the voluptuous beauty of these fair inhabitants of the magic garden, the young man gazed upon them with delight. The sirens, looking upon the handsome stranger as their lawful prey, instantly began to entice him into the snares of passion, each one trying to win him for herself. But the simple youth remained calmly insensible to their soft persuasions, and at last they left him in anger, deeming him to be a fool indeed. Then suddenly Kundry appeared, now wearing the form of a maiden more bewitchingly beautiful than any he had yet seen, calling to him in thrilling tones by the name of Parsifal. Remembering that this was the name by which his mother had always called him, the youth approached the dazzling vision before him filled with wonder, and Kundry, after explaining to him that his name meant pure in folly, told him again of his mother's love and devotion, and how she had died of grief at his absence from her. Overcome at the thought of the woe he had caused by his conduct, Parsifal sank weeping to the ground, for this was his first grief, and his first consciousness of his own part in the life of another human being. Kundry, having thus awakened the youth's emotions, now sought by her seductive arts to lure him into the toils of passion, and offering him the comforts of love, bestowed upon him his first lover's kiss. But at this Parsifal sprang to his feet, pressing his hand to his heart, for it seemed to him that the wound of Amphortus burned there, and the thought of the wounded king's urgent need recalled his wandering senses to the great mission he had undertaken. In that critical moment his nature seemed to change, for in a flash world-knowledge had come to him, and he realized the great truth of redemption by grace, and understood that he, by conquering temptation, could become worthy of bringing salvation to the stricken king, whose suffering had awakened sweet pity within his heart. The temptress never ceased her wily arts for a moment, and the youth felt more and more the pangs of guilty desires and passions burning within him. But when she again encircled him in her sensuous embrace, and pressed a second long kiss upon his heated brow, he was awakened to the full consciousness of his danger, and repulsed her with horror. Then, having triumphed over the desires of the flesh, Parsifal gazed upwards towards the heavens with such rapt ecstasy upon his face that Kundry was filled with remorse, 
and looked upon him with awe and wonder. Then, fancying she beheld in him the Savior of the world, whom she had mocked as he lay upon the cross, she sank at his feet, telling the whole terrible story of her everlasting sufferings, beseeching him to be pitiful to her and grant her the joy of being his, if but for one hour only. But Parsifal sternly replied that he would be condemned everlastingly with her, if even for one hour he forgot his holy mission. Finally, as her last effort, the temptress sought to ensnare him by declaring that her kiss had awakened in him world-wide knowledge and vision, and that in her love he might reach unto Godhead and omnipotence. But this subtle suggestion Parsifal resisted also, remaining true to his own pure and noble nature, and refusing to be enticed from the path of duty and mercy which he now so clearly recognized. Then Kundry, finding that all arts and lures were in vain, sprang furiously from his side, cursing him, and calling loudly upon her wicked master to avenge her wrongs, for never before had any man been able to resist her offers of love. The sorcerer immediately appeared on the battlements of the enchanted castle, bearing aloft the holy spear, and casting this with rage at the youth, he at the same time set forth all his evil spells to work destruction upon his defier. But his magic was powerless when brought into contact with purity and faith, and the holy spear remained hanging in the air over Parsifal's head, until the noble youth seized it in his hand and solemnly made the sign of the cross with it. Instantly the enchanted castle fell to the ground shaken by a violent earthquake. The beautiful garden was changed to a desert once more, and as Kundry sank to the ground with a cry of woe, Parsifal hastened from the place of his temptation, triumphantly bearing aloft the sacred spear with which he was now to conquer the hostile races of the world. For many years Parsifal wandered forth alone, and then at last, when grown to perfect manhood by suffering and sorrow, he returned to the domains of the Holy Grail. Here he was gladly welcomed one morning by the knight Gurnemons, now grown to be a very old man, who had taken upon his abode in the forest and became a hermit. And he learned from the old man that most of the Grail knights had gradually left the sanctuary, because Amfortas, in his agony of body and mind, had refused to perform the life-preserving office of revealing the Holy Grail which had formerly given them such wonderful nourishment and power. Thus the strength of the noble knights had dwindled and faded, and the aged king Titteril had already died, for, deprived of the nourishment of the grail, he could no longer live. On hearing this sad news, Parsifal was overcome with sorrow, knowing that he had been the cause of this long-drawn-out woe, because he had for so many long years neglected to bring the salvation that lay in his power. But Gurnemons comforted him, declaring that the suffering king should now be restored, since the only cure for his wound was at last nigh at hand. And he then invited Parsifal to go with him to the sanctuary that day, since it was Good Friday, and Amphrotus was expected to reveal the Holy Grail once again at the funeral service of the dead King Titterel. Whilst the old and the young knight talked thus together, a female figure had come forth from the hermit's hut close by and, drawing slowly nearer, had stood beside them with bowed head and humble mien. This was Kundry, who in her wild witch-maiden form Gurnemons had that morning found in the forest, wrapped in the usual deep slumber into which she had sunk upon being released from the influence of the sorcerer Klingzor. And, having gently revived her, the good old man had permitted her to perform for him the menial services she ever did at such times 
now approaching Parsifal, she humbly and tenderly washed his feet, anointing them with the contents of a golden vial she drew from her bosom. Seeming as though, by such an act of service, she would atone for the evil she had formerly tried to work on his soul. Old Gurnemans then took the vial from her, and poured the remainder of its contents over the head of Parsifal, saluting him afterwards as king and saviour, and the young knight, filling his hand with water from the sacred spring close by, very gently sprinkled it over the bent head of Kundry as she knelt at his feet, thus baptizing the poor sinner as his first act as the bringer of salvation. Gurnemans now brought forth from the hut the rich scarlet mantle of the grail knight, with which he and Kundry proceeded to invest Parsifal over the shining armor which he wore. And then the three very solemnly bent their steps toward the holy castle, and entered the sanctuary. Here the knights who still remained were gathered beside the bier of the dead King Titurel, waiting for the Holy Grail to be revealed to them. But Amphortas, whose agony was now even greater than before, and who passionately longed for death, again refused to perform his holy office, and rising from his litter in a mad frenzy of pain and despair, tore the covering from his wounded side, and wildly implored his faithful companions to plunge their swords into his heart, and thus end his woe. As the knights drew back in alarm at this outburst, Parsifal stepped forward with noble and calm dignity, and gently touched the suffering king's open wound with the sacred spear that alone had power to cure it. And at the touch of the holy weapon, Amphortas felt his pains vanish and his wound close, and knowing that it was now restored and forgiven, he fell upon his knees in an ecstasy of gratitude and praise. Parsifal now assumed the office of king, which was henceforth his right, and uncovering the long unrevealed holy grail, he waved it solemnly before the kneeling knights. The sanctuary was gradually flooded with the dazzling purple light that glowed from the sacred vessel, in the midst of which a white dove was seen to slowly descend from the dome, and as the holy bird hovered over the head of the rapt Parsifal, the witch-maiden Kundry sank dying to the ground, at last released from the doom of evil by the noble knight who had been strong enough to resist her wiles. Thus was the sacred spear restored to the sanctuary of the Holy Grail, and salvation brought to its guardians by the blameless fool, the true and simple one, whose purity and faith had overcome temptation, and whose awakened pity for the sufferings of others had revealed the real spirit of brotherly love. It will be plain to all that the story of Parsifal is an allegory, and that the incidents and characters of the piece are symbolic of human development, of the conquest of good over evil, and of the revivified spirit soaring triumphant above the baser instincts that struggle to draw it back. Amphortas represents suffering and guilty humanity. The body of humanity, grievously wounded by the throbbing, burning poison of sin, can only be healed by the restoration of the genius of good, which is symbolized by the spear, which has obtained mastery over the powerful spirits of evil. Klingsor represents everything opposed to goodness and loving-kindness, being the mainspring and source of all evil. Kundry, the instrument subject to the power of the instigator of ill, signifies the temptations that beset the seeker after truth, the evil moral law, which the pilgrim can only resist with the strength which is given by purity and faith. Finally, Parsifal himself is typical of the Savior of the world, the pure and blameless one, 
the conqueror of temptation, whose pity and love for wounded, guilty humanity brought salvation to all, and by redemption threw open the way to eternal life and love. End of section 50